Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. I'm going to read the scripture in uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. You listen to God's word. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities of ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Donna. You may be seated. This past week, um, we, I don't know if everybody would be comfortable with the term celebrate. Probably not. That's okay. But nevertheless, October 31st, 2019 has came and went. Um, Halloween is where we typically talk about that date. Um, it's also my sister's birthday. <laughs> Tells you a lot about her, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just teasing. My goodness. But October the 31st is also Reformation Day. Did you know that? Uh, Kristen's excited over there that I'm talking about this. <laughs> October 31st. 1517 is the date that many historians agree Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. An event that was a spark, really, for what came to be known as the Reformation. And the spiritual awakening that occurred in Martin Luther that gave rise to him nailing the 95 theses to the door of the church came on the heels of his preparation to teach, particularly through the book of Romans and Galatians at Wittenberg University. And as he prepared to lecture, what he began to see with clear eyes was the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And with that revelation, he sparked a movement that changed the world. William Tyndale, some years later, who was also a central figure in the Reformation, he got his hands on a Greek New Testament. 
and he began to read. Began to read without the hindrances of the gross misinterpretations that existed in the Latin Vulgate. He started to read, particularly Romans, and he too began to see the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that prompted him to begin translating the Bible into English. And they killed him for it. They be in the church. He was burned at the stake for making what we're reading right now available to the common man in a language they could understand. Why? Because the church did not want the common man to have the Bible, particularly the books of Romans and Galatians, where most explicitly Paul lays out salvation by grace through faith, not through meritorious sacramental works. And so when people, when men and women began to read the Bible and see this gospel with clear eyes, the whole Roman Catholic system exploded. Purgatory exploded. Transubstantiation exploded. Mary and saints and priests serving as mediators between God and man exploded. Indulgences exploded. The infallibility of the Pope equal to that of, of, of Scripture exploded. The Reformation was born. And here we sit with Bibles open, reading Romans in English. And we can see it. Does that shake you a little bit? You realize what we're reading? You know, if, if the only mountain you've ever seen with your own eyes is Paris Mountain, and then somebody flies, foots the bill to fly you to Nepal, and you gaze up at Mount Everest, you don't look at that mountain and go, oh, cool. You stand there with mouths gaped open and hearts skipping beats in awe of this mountain that peaks at the altitude of a 747 doing a transcontinental route. This is massive what we're reading. And I say all of that, one, because we should pause and remember people like Martin Luther and William Tyndale that God used so that we could be here today doing what we're doing. Secondly, because I think we could come to Romans 13 and go, uh, okay, cool. Paul says, obey the law. Okay. You know, I, I get that, right? I'm not going to steal and rob. Speed limit's in question, but I, you know, I, 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 I get it, Paul. Can we just move on to chapter 14? What's all the big hoopla about submission to governing authorities? You ever had a conversation with your kids where you're trying to tell them something that they need to know, but they don't know they need to know it yet? Every day. Thank you. I agree. One of the biggest challenges of parenting is giving our children information that they don't know they need yet, but they're going to need it. In some ways, that's a little bit uh, how I feel right now, because in America, for the most part, we see signs, we see hints, they're little indicators, but for the most part, the government is not a hindrance to our worship. The government's not a threat to what we're doing right now, to our evangelism or our discipleship or our mission. It's not really a big, huge question for us whether or not we submit to their authority because America, probably more so than any other nation, 
has supported what we're doing right now. There are indications that might change, maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in your lifetime, maybe not in our kids' lifetime, maybe in our grandkids' lifetime. But wrestling with a text like this is at the very least a crucial for us as we raise our children and teach them what it means to live as transformed people in the world. Because this might, sooner than we think, become a bigger issue than it is right now. That's not the only implication. I've got more. But that's at least one. Before we go into this text, pause and say to yourself, this matters big time. Why is Paul addressing this? I'm going to give you four reasons real quick. I don't have a lot of time, so listen fast. Four reasons why I think Paul is addressing this. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, I'll try to give you time to write these down. Number one, the Christian life, according to the gospel, is on a collision course with secular society. The Christian life is on a collision course, according to the gospel, with secular society. what We just spent two weeks in Romans chapter 12, and what was Paul's one fundamental instruction? Don't be conformed to this world. Rather, by the renewal of your mind, be transformed. Be the transformed person that you are. The gospel not only calls us to not conform to the world, but it calls us to live as transformed people in the world without being conformed to it. This gospel that we celebrate sets us on a collision course with secular society. If you grew up in the United States and have spent most of your life here, you probably don't have much of a frame of reference for what it means to be a foreigner. And yet, according to the gospel, that is what we are in the world. We're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're foreigners when it comes to the world's systems and patterns of thinking and values. Paul says, don't conform. You know, some years ago, I was asked to be on a, a board of a regional ministry organization that was a part of the denomination I grew up in. And I was eager to serve. I was honored to serve, eager to contribute. But what I quickly discovered is that there were some old ways of thinking and some traditions that, at least in my opinion, were hog-tying this organization from fulfilling its stated mission. And, and I'm not one to just sit there and be quiet. So I began to speak up as respectfully as I could. I began to speak up and voice my opinion about how things needed to change. Needless to say, that wasn't welcomed by all. And in fact, one day I got pulled aside by one of my fellow board members at a meeting. And, and this person said this to me, Bradley, you just need to blend. In other words, you need to conform. I quickly resigned my post. I don't have time to be a part of something where I'm expected to conform. Christians, we're not called to be conformed. We're called to live as transformed people in the world. That's the first reason I think Paul mentions governing authorities here. Here's number two. I think Paul brings this up here because of what the gospel tells us about the authority of Christ Remember what Paul said in Romans 8. I think I've got it on the screen for you. 
I'm just going to read a couple of these verses, guys, in the back. Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And then he goes on to talk about what shall separate us from the love of God. Famine, naked, danger, sword, nothing will separate us from the love of God. But before he gives us that exhortation or that encouragement, he tells us Christ was raised and is seated at the right hand of God. That's the place of absolute authority. What did Jesus say to his disciples when he rose from the dead? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The confession of the Christian is Jesus Christ is, come on, say it. Jesus Christ is, right? We say that out loud, and we're not worried about it, but do you realize in Paul's day and in other parts of the world, even in our day, that is treason. That is treasonous. We have another king who is king of kings and lord of lords. All authority is under the authority of Christ. And what we know is that the authorities in our world are governing and civil authorities. Though they are under the subjection of the authority of Christ, they may at times kill us. That doesn't land in this room with the kind of weight that it should because we've never faced that threat. Yet. This is why Paul is addressing is because what the gospel tells us about the authority of Christ, and he wants us to know, look, even when they kill you, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ, who is king of kings. Number three, why is Paul dealing with this? Because we are called to a life of mercy. Paul started chapter 1 with an appeal by the mercies of God, and he ended chapter 1 by calling us to be mercy-saturated people in our world, in the church and outside the church. And so the question has to be raised, and I'm going to get to this more next week. No, I'll get to it this week, but a little bit more next week too. Is mercy the only provision God has made for restraining evil in the world? The answer is obviously no. And I think that's one of the reasons Paul addresses this here, okay? So, what's Paul's instruction? Those are the three reasons why I think he's bringing it up. Could be more. But what's his, what's his instruction in chapter 13? Let's look at it again, verse 1. Let every person be subject. Can we say that together, please? Subject. to That word means submitting, submission, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So the fundamental instruction from Paul, from God's word to the Christian, when it comes to governing and civil authorities is submit. Submit to their authority. And then he repeats that instruction basically with some pragmatic implications woven in in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Pay to all what is owed them. 
Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So the approach of the Christian, again, to governing authorities is submission. And Paul gives no exception, does he? No exceptions. And that raises a big question. This is what I'm going to get to next week. But many, many, many Christians throughout history and even in our day live or have lived under governing authorities that prohibit them to do what the Bible commands or they command them to do what the Bible forbids. What do we do with that? And yet we're called to submit to their authority, be people of mercy, and live as the transformed people that we are in the world. That's why this is massively important. So, how does all this work? And why is our submission, everything from the big laws to the very small laws, why, why is this important, okay? I got a lot of numbers and lists today. Here's number one of four. Four reasons why Paul calls us to submit. Number one, all authority... Governing, civil, is established by God who has all authority. All authority, civil, governing, authority, is established by God who has all authority. Verse 1 and 2 again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And look at the ver first part of verse 4. For he, talking about the governing or civil authority, is God's servant for your good. And then look at the last part of verse 6. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So the the first reason why Paul calls us to submit to governing authorities is because God put them there. That gets an easy amen, but let's start to think about it a minute. Bradley, are you telling me that even the wicked and evil rulers and kings and governors and presidents and prime ministers are put in place by God? You know, if we had not worked through Romans up to this point and gone through chapter 9, that question might seem ludicrous to us. But what did we learn? God is completely free. He is sovereign. And all things are working together for the good of his purpose. All things, happy and hard, pleasurable and painful, all things are serving his good purpose. And that includes even Wicked rulers. We learned that in chapter 9. But if that's still not enough for you, let me invite you to consider this. Jeroboam, one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. And yet, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 15, his placement as king is described as a turn of events brought about by Yahweh that he might fulfill his word. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? The Babylonian king that destroyed Jerusalem. 
In Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 6, God describes him as my servant. What about Pilate? Roman procurator. Jesus is standing there before him, John chapter 19, and he looks at Jesus and says, don't you realize I've got the power to release you or crucify you? And what did Jesus say? No, 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 Pilate, let, let, me, let me help you. You'd have no authority over me had it not been given to you from above. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, I have it on the screen. He, talking about God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Rez, we are about to enter an election year. Whatever happens, whatever happens, God is in control. Whatever happens. That doesn't mean we have to like it. I don't like everything God does. And I tell him that sometimes. Just like my children tell me. But listen, it is a great comfort to the Christian to know no matter what kind of authority that I find myself under, governing, civil, I know my heavenly Father is in charge. And even if they take away my rights, even if they take away my home, even if they kill me, I won't be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and whose kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever. Yeah, shout about it. Right? Even when they restrain evil and promote good, and even when they don't, they are God's servants serving his ultimate purpose. Number two, governing authorities are servants of God for our good. Verse three again. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. All of this is under God's sovereign authority, but it is better. It is, a, it is an act of common grace from God. Just like he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, God puts government in place because it's better for us to have government than anarchy. It's better for there to be civil law rather than everyone interpreting what is good for themselves. This is one of the ways God is restraining evil in the world. Yes, even in the most moral and just governmental systems, evil seeps through the cracks. They're not perfect, but God is ruling over that, right? And evil is restrained by the placement of governing authorities for our good. Number three. Why should we submit? Governing authorities bear the sword. This is Paul getting real practical right here. Verse four. The governing authorities are God's servants for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. 
For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Here's, here's real simple. If you don't submit to governing authorities, it's not going to go good for you. And don't think, Christian, that God is going to spare you a speeding ticket if you break the speed limit. Or that he's going to spare you capital punishment if you commit murder. Because Paul says, when governing and civil authorities punish wrongdoing, they're carrying out the wrath of God. Right? So, don't make it hard on yourself. Number four. Submission to governing authorities is not only a matter of law, but of conscience. Remember what we learned last week. Good and evil, or right and wrong, are objective realities. Human beings do not determine what's good or what's evil. God does. And that's why Paul equates submission to governing and civil authorities as doing what is good, and a lack of submission to governing authorities as doing what is wrong. Look at it with me. Verse 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad... Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, see that? It's not just a matter of obeying the law or not. It's a matter of doing what is right or what is wrong. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out the wrath of God on the wrongdoer. Okay? So on top and underneath civil authority is this greater authority or this greater law that is the moral law of God that is written on our... That leads Paul right into verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So if we fail to submit to governing authorities... Let me just sum this up, okay? Let, let me say it positively. When we submit to governing authorities, we are submitting to authorities that God, who has all authority, has put in place, right? When we submit to governing and civil authorities, we are recognizing and acknowledging the gift of common grace God has given to our society, of governing authorities to restrain evil. Okay? When we submit to governing authorities, we are supporting governing and civil authorities that God is using to restrain evil and punish wrongdoing. And when we submit to governing authorities, we are also submitting to the, the moral law of God written on our hearts. You with me? All right, just making sure. What are the implications? Verse 6. For because. I love the causes in the Bible. Right? What do I do with this, Paul? How does this practically play out in my life? Couldn't get any plainer. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 
that pretty plain? Pay your taxes. Don't cheat on them. Like the obvious thing would be, all right, I, I, I don't shoot my neighbor when they park on my grass. Got it, Paul. You notice he doesn't mention anything that morally explicit. And I think that's on purpose. Maybe if he were standing here, he'd say, Rez, pay your taxes, even when they're too high. Don't cheat on them. Buy a hunting license and a fishing license. Don't drive drunk. Obey the speed limit and don't run red lights. <laughs> Help me. Turn signals. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> you know what's funny? This morning at, time did I leave? 5.30, 5.40, something like that. At 5.45 in the morning, I'm on Wade Hampton, right there at Popeye's. Y'all know where Popeye's is, I know. And there was nobody else in Greer. And the light was red. And it stayed red. And I thought about it. I didn't run it. I thought about it, but I didn't run it. What's at stake here? I think it is our confidence in the faithfulness of God. And let me tell you what I mean by that. When life is good and it's going my way, it's a lot easier for me to be grateful and patient, not entitled, and therefore I'm not justifying in my head things that I think nobody will notice. Right? But when business is slow and I need a break and I don't want to spend the money on a fishing license, I can play that tape in my head and justify my actions, can I? And those thoughts sound so good in my head. Man, our government's corrupt. The politicians are corrupt. They're, they're the reason my life is so hard. Because when life is hard, what do we do? We want to find somebody to blame. They're the reason my life is hard. They can't get it figured out in Washington. I earned my money. I'm going to fudge on my taxes because they don't deserve it. I do. And what do, we, what do we talk about last week? The root of pride is entitlement. I deserve this. The root of humility is gratitude. I don't deserve anything. The root of humility, Christ-like, godly humility is, when life is good and it's going my way, I give thanks. Because I owe everything to God, right? But when life is hard and it's not going my way, 
I give thanks because God is faithful. He's so faithful, he's so good, he's so sovereign that even when I find myself facing injustice from a wicked ruler, I can still remain in humble gratitude and submit. Next week I'm going to talk about what happens when a governing authority and my submission to that governing authority is in conflict with my submission to God. I'll talk about that next week. But just for a minute, imagine when someone over me, my boss or a governor or a king, and I'm facing injustice at the hands of that ruler or that authority, I can still remain in humble gratitude. Why? Because God is faithful. God is good. God is sovereign. Nothing's going to separate me from his love. And I don't submit to their authority out of reverence to them. I submit to their authority out of reverence to God. Because I owe him everything. You know, if life is hard right now for you, and you find yourself wanting to point fingers and blame, and when we're pointing fingers and blaming, these kinds of details, we just don't even want to pay attention to them, do we? So maybe let this text, at the very least, Shine the light on where your heart is right now. And maybe life is hard and maybe you've slipped into a sense of entitlement rather than humble gratitude. Maybe you wake up every morning begrudging the life you have rather than being grateful that you're God's child and that he is faithful and that he's sovereign over your life and his mercy is brand new every morning. Because if we're in a hard season, what do we know? He's done it before. He's brought me through the storm before. He'll bring me through again because he's faithful. And can you imagine Paul's readers? Some of them have been exiled. Some people read this who had been run out of Jerusalem by governing authorities and experienced what amounted to probably one of the greatest tribulations that the church has ever faced. Can you imagine them reading Romans chapter 13? Submit. God is ruling. God is faithful. God is good. Don't let difficult circumstances rob you of your confidence in the faithfulness of God and your gratitude and worship to him that spills over into things as simple as paying your taxes and buying a fishing license. This kind of text, it pokes me in a way that maybe I might be tempted to ignore certain things in my heart that really do matter. It's not legalism. This is about worship and gratitude. Amen? Amen. So we're going to sing, and I want you to stand with me. God is faithful. We've seen him move. He moves the mountains. Lord, um, 
I want all that you have for me. I want all of you, not part of you. I want you to have all of me, not part of me. And I pray that we would realize that what's at stake when, when it comes to these kinds of civil and practical matters is our confidence in your faithfulness. Things have gone well for us pretty much in America. And maybe that will continue for the rest of our lifetimes. But I do sense that you want to wait, awaken your church to a faith that is much deeper than our circumstantial realities, a confidence in you that's much deeper than whether or not who we're going to vote for next November is the candidate we want. Maybe today you could stir up in us a worship for King Jesus that truly transcends, supersedes our confidence in the American political system, but also would lead us to be people who honor you in the way we live our everyday lives. That's my prayer. I pray it for myself. Because it might be easy for me to run a red light on Wade Hampton when nobody's looking. But I don't want my gratitude and my worship to be hindered because I get entitled. Lead us to gratitude as we reflect on your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.